we've been working through Romans. And hey, you're going to need a Bible today if you can. There's Bibles in the chairs around you, but if you can, turn with me. We're reading quite a bit of Scripture today, and it's good if you can see what's there. So turn to Romans chapter 11. We've made our way through this amazing letter that Paul has written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And today, we look at chapter 11. Really, we've been looking and we've been going through and looking at God's plan. We looked at chapter 9 at what God's plan was, which was righteousness by faith alone. And Israel had stumbled because they didn't pursue God by faith in Jesus. They pursued by trying themselves to be righteous, to get righteousness from the law. That's what we saw in chapter 9. And in chapter 10, when we looked last week, we saw that indeed salvation, there's only one way to God, believing in Jesus Christ. He's not done with talking about Israel, though, and we'll finish that in chapter 11 as Paul continues to write about Israel. But you might say, what's important about Israel? I mean, I don't know beyond a beautiful place to travel to. So I thought this, my girls are into tumbling right now. They love to do handsprings and things like, boy, things I can't do at all. But it made me think back 30 years ago to the winner of the 1984 all-around gold medal in the Olympics, Mary Lou Retton. She was amazing. She trained from when she was a little girl in gymnastics, and she'd put in hour after hour after hour of work to train her body to be able to do all the things that they do in the Olympics. What if, there she was in the Olympics, what if she got in an argument with her coach? And the coach looking at her said, you're done, stand away. I'm taking you out. And he turned to the stands and he pointed at you, and said, come on down, you're up. I know, the balance beam is next. Good luck. And said, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Hop on up. Crazy! Or what if, if you're a guy, and you know that gymnastic stuff, there he goes, talking about Mary Lou Retton, I don't know who that is, you're an old guy, I can tell. Michael Jordan greatest basketball player of all time. Okay, debate for another day. But amazing basketball player on the court, ready to go, and he's playing and blowing and making points and doing things, and then the coach says, no, you, hey, you, you're out. Sit on the bench. There's no other subs on the bench. So the coach turns to the stands again and points at you. Hey, you. Yeah, you, come on down, you're in. What? There's Michael Jordan. Here's me. No, no contest. I could take him. No, no, the opposite, right? Fantastic, gifted, talented, work. Oh, wow. That's us in Israel. You have to think through these things for us, how that might impact our lives. And we're going to look at a couple ways that it does today but that we might respond rightly to God's plan of righteousness by faith alone. Even to understand what happens with, in my little illustration, don't take it too far, but with Michael Jordan or with with Mary Lou Redden. 
So here we go. I want to, to walk through scripture with you and show you what's going on in Romans chapter 11. First is hope on grace alone. Has God rejected his people? So chapter 11, verse 1, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, Paul writes, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. What is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there's a remnant chosen by grace. And we've been walking through and seeing salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's by nothing that we've done. Our eyes get open to the wondrous, amazing work Jesus did on the cross. Boy, just approved by God as he rose from the dead. And he's alive. And, and we put our faith in him. And we get righteousness from him. But Israel has stumbled. So the question is, is Israel done? And Paul says... By no means. God hasn't just discarded Israel. As we'll see, his calling and his gifts, they're irrevocable. That means something. No, 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 says Paul. Look, look, even though Israel totally messed up. Look, says Paul, I'm an Israelite. Look, if God is going to say to Israel, you're done, out of the game. I'm replacing you with someone else. And Paul says, but, but, but there's me. I, I belong to Israel. I'm a descendant of Abraham. He means in the flesh. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He's emphasizing his roots. God hasn't rejected his people, he says, whom he foreknew. There's this idea of a remnant that God saves. It's all God's grace. He even saves people out of Israel, he says. There's this idea of a remnant. Think about Elijah, says Paul. And there he brings up in, in the Kings where where Elijah's complaining to God because, not because other countries have killed the prophets, because King Ahab, who was a Israelite king, had come and killed and decimated the prophets. And, and he was just getting, and Elijah says, I'm alone and I'm left. There's no one else, Lord. And the Lord says, no, I've kept, God's power, <laughs> I've kept 7,000 men who've not bowed the knee. And so Paul says, now, too, there's a remnant chosen by grace. Verse 6, but if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. We know why, right? We can read chapter 9, verse 31. It says, Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, didn't arrive at that law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. His name's Jesus. So Israel, God's precious nation, stumbled over Jesus. So we got saved. But God says, no, wait, I'm not done. There's still grace. It's all grace. It's not their works. But you know what? I still have grace. Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, and we know why. But the elect obtained it by grace. 
But the rest were hardened, verse 8. As it was written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Okay, if you read that, like, wow. Dax, we just jumped into heavy stuff. What are we doing? What is this? What does this have to do with me? Wait, don't lose me. Look what he's doing. He's saying Israel didn't attain. Israel didn't attain to salvation. Not yet. Because they rejected Jesus Christ and they're trying after self-righteousness. The elect, the chosen ones, oh, they obtained by grace just like us. But what he does is he says, look, it's always been that way. And he uses first the law because he quotes there in in verse 8, he says, look, he quotes Deuteronomy 9, 4, that their eyes don't see. The ears that wouldn't hear. That's the law. And then he quotes from the prophets. That's Isaiah 29, verse 10. And he says, oh, God gave them a spirit of stupor. And then finally he quotes from the writings. All the, all the different parts of the Old Testament. He's pulled a quote from each one and put it there and said, look. And in the prophets, especially Psalm 69, 22 and 23, that's something called an imprecatory psalm. Where David says in verse 9, he says, they're Romans, right? But he's, he's quoting Psalm 69, where it's just like, Lord, kill your enemies. Lord, have vengeance on those who are against you. Lord, hold them over a flame and let them cook. And we all go, ooh, that sounds really bad. How could God think that? And David there is speaking as through Jesus himself. The rejectors of the Messiah. How horrible it is, those who would kill Jesus Christ. How much they deserve their eyes to be darkened so they can't see and their backs bent forever. That's terrible. As an aside, when I read the Old Testament, and then I read Psalm 69, and I want to say, well, I'm the righteous one always, and how I want my enemies to be beaten, how I want my enemies to be destroyed. But mostly in the Old Testament, we're the evil ones. Who can ascend to the hill of God? Who can dwell in his holy hill? Those who are perfect. Oh, I thought that was me. No, it's not you. So when I read in the Old Testament, things of imprecation, God on his enemies, I think, oh, wow, I deserve thunder and lightning and strikings and evils and curses and horror. Like them. Yet, yet, even here, there's hope for all. There's God's grace. There's a remnant. How do we respond to that? That even in the midst of the most horrible pieces, there remains a remnant. That's wild.
I wonder if we've seen that really. Do you see how amazing that is? Just just think with me for a minute. He's talking about Israel. He's talking about Jesus Christ who came to Israel. Remember that? How Jesus came. He came riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. The king of Israel. They're one they'd waited for for thousands of years. And then, think it through with me. They took Jesus. They put him before Pilate. That's fine. But then they took Jesus. And what did they do? Do you remember? They had him whipped and scourged. The king of kings, the lord of lords, the ruler of the universe. And they took him and they whipped him and scourged him. And they brought him before the people. And they, they said, okay, who should we let go? Here's this murderer. And here's the king of kings. Who would you like? Kill him, they said. We want Barabbas. Remember? They did that. Aren't they done? There's no way. Aren't they done forever? And then God says, no, look, it's always been by grace. And even there's a remnant here. Wow. (laughs) There's still hope. What's our response to that? What's our response to that? Us. Verse 11, so, so I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Okay, so, so the, the, the idea is this, with our basketball game. Did he get pulled out of the game so he can just be kicked to the curb forever? By no means, says Paul, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Okay, get what he says. This is history. This is God's plan. You're being told right here, this is God's plan. God's plan has always been salvation through Jesus Christ alone. His righteousness given to those who believe. And then he says here, look, I did this. I allowed, oh, they chose against God. They killed God. But I allowed this hardening to happen because through this sin, salvation has come to us, you and I. When you see Gentiles, you can think of us. So as to make Israel jealous. You think about that? Think about Michael Jordan sitting on the bench watching you play. And then the Lord uses you. Then you score a basket. Then you'd make a steal. Then he starts actually bearing fruit through you. It's, oh man, I want back in the game. I want, I, I, I want... Your heart gets pulled. That's what's happening. He says, look there, their trespass means riches for the world. Yeah, when Israel rejected rejected God, God says, go into, we read this in Matthew 22, go into the byways, find people who will come to my wedding feast. That's us. Undeserved nothings. And we're brought in. Put in. Riches for the world, verse 12, right? That's the trespass of Israel rejecting Jesus means you and I have salvation offered to us. And if their failure means riches for us, how much more will their full inclusion mean? What's that? Wait a minute. They killed Jesus! They don't get full inclusion. What? 
Yeah, Israel's stumbling is not forever. It's a plan of God to save you and me. The salvation of nobodies and no ones. The unclean, the sinner. So we wonder at the rejection that was used by God for the salvation of us. How much more will we wonder when God brings them back in? Now he says, verse 13, keep going. I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Ooh, speaking to us. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, that's what Paul was, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what does their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So Paul's ministry, ministry to the Gentiles, doesn't mean I'm ignoring them. No, my hope is, is that I minister over here, that they'll get jealous, that they'll look and say, oh, I see, oh, I, I, I see that relationship with God that they have. I want that too. God might use Paul to open their eyes so they might humble their hearts and come back to Jesus. That's his hope. And if God's using me and you, think about this. If God's using me and you, how much more fantastic glory of his diamond Israel? Wow. How much amazement that life from the dead might come because they died, they rejected Jesus, there's death there, and life might come. In fact, this great, amazing work of God to be shining to the nations Ever heard of Isaiah where people come to Zion and the nations come to Zion, God's city of shining, and here's God. And, and remember, remember, remember God chose Israel and for thousands of years, God, over time, developed and nurtured and prepared and, and, and prepared Israel where they had a relationship with God. They're prepared uniquely. Even Paul, think about Paul for a minute. Say, well, Paul wrote Romans. How did he know to do this? How did he weave in Deuteronomy and Isaiah? And, and had you guys heard of Isaiah 20? Remember, he's quoting Deuteronomy 29? And he's quoting Isaiah 28? And he's pulling in a piece of, of this? And you go, that's incredible! How can he do that? One answer is, he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired him. But he wasn't a robot. Didn't the Holy Spirit also make him grow up a certain way? give him certain experiences, allow him as a Jew to memorize the Old Testament? I, don't, I, I think he knew a lot more of the Old Testament than we know. I think that was the plan of God. And then God says, here's, here's my diamond Israel. I've got thousands and thousands and thousands of these people who I've developed over time, who have experienced a relationship with me. Yes, they've stumbled over Christ. They've, they're not saved. And yet... When that happens, and as they see the wonder of Jesus, and they come back through faith in Jesus alone, there's not another way, but, but as they come back, how much more fantastic? Wouldn't it be fantastic to have Michael Jordan playing basketball again? I'd go see him. Life 
But, but, but the amazement, the amazement, I, I, I just think we don't see the depth that the Lord who is love, the Lord who does so much that people and the nation that took his only son and nailed him to a cross, the people that took his only son and said, no, kill him. We'd rather have a murderer alive than your son. That those people, God has mercy still in his heart toward. Is it possible? That's why I don't like questions along the line. Well, I mean, Hitler could never go to heaven. Sure he could. If he humbled his heart and believed in Jesus, right? There's no evidence that he did so. But if he did, we might see him. How can you? That's horrible. Look what he did. Yeah, look what God does. May we be humbled. If the dough, verse 16, offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. You see, what makes holy, Paul says here, look, what actually makes holy isn't the branch, it's the root. If Jesus is holy, then anything that's grafted into Jesus is holy. So the issue is, are you grafted into Jesus Christ, right? That's our only issue this morning. Our only issue for fruitfulness, our only issue for life, is are we grafted into the root who is Christ? It's no longer like it used to be that the dirty branches might contaminate the root. You know, you put in this dirty branch and, oh no, an infection's going to get down into the root and something horrible will happen. No, now it's that the root cleanses the branches. Contact with Jesus is your righteousness. But, verse 17, if some branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, don't be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember it's not you who support the root but the root that supports you. Okay, he's talking to us. He's talking to us and how we think. We are thinking in the world as we look out, this is it all, that we might be a humble people. Why? Because all that we are comes from Christ. He's the root. But I look at these branches that got plucked off because they were self-righteous and they got pulled out of the game and got put outside over here. And I think, ha, ha, ha. I'm so glad I'm better than them. That's me becoming them, right? That's me looking at someone else and saying, I'm better than them. I'm better than what they are. No, that was never the case. It's only whether you're connected to the root. Be connected there. In fact, he even uses a very strange image. I hope you caught it. A wild, if you, a wild olive branch was, was put in. Okay, remember, he, he just reversed something. God's producing olives through his tree. The way that you get good olives is that you would take a wild tree, because a wild tree has good roots, strong, and you'd pare it down and you'd put in a cultivated branch, because that cultivated branch was trimmed just right so it would bear lots of fruit. He just went upside down on that. He said, hey, here's the root, and we're taking you wild olive branches, you know, the ones that don't make much. And we're putting you with the prime root, you wild guys. 
Look. Like this. Here's the picture. So there's your wild olive branch. It might make a few olives. Here's the cultivated branch. It makes tons of olives. And he just flipped your image. So said, no, he took you, nothing people, growing wild, and he cut you and he put you in into the prime root. Ho, ho, ho. But see, I'm the wild one. I'm not the producer. So I never think that I'm awesome. I think, wow, what a wondrous thing that I produce it all through the amazing nourishment of the root. That's who we are. And and here's here's the danger. Right? In verse 19, it says, but I will say, you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Oh, look. I am something. Other people were broken away and thrown aside so that I might come and be in Christianity. That's true, he says in verse 20. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So don't become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Here's the danger. I've been 30 years a Christian. A little more. Maybe you've been more than that. And here we are. said, oh, I'm something. I'm good now. I'm so much stronger than those folks over there. But everything that makes me valuable is and is only my trust in the root in Christ. So as soon as I start being the Israelite again and saying, my trust is not in Jesus, but in me, I'm separating myself from Christ. We can do that. Not in terms of getting lost. The Lord will break us down. The Lord comes and gets us. We get lost sheep and wander. He comes and grabs us. But in my heart, there's a battle with my flesh. Romans 7 was talking about it. The sin is is that I want back to self-righteousness. And Paul says, don't. Because look what God's going to do in verse 23. Even if if they do not continue in their unbelief, They'll be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is, by nature, a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? You see, how much more? How much more? Isn't God able to take? Sorry. I get too excited. This is amazing. It is amazing. Think through it with me. Isn't God able to take Israel, who he prepared when they were little, as a nation? They can think, oh, my great, 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 great grandpa taught my dad, taught my grandpa, taught my dad, taught me all these things. We passed down the great and amazing wonder of what God has done for me and my people. And it's a testimony to the world. And here I am knowing now that it was actually pointed to Jesus Christ alone, and he puts that branch back in. That's such an amazing testimony. We ought to rejoice. 
Oh, I'm so ready and excited for Israel to come to Jesus. I want Michael Jordan in the game. If he's in the game of faith in Jesus Christ. There's a big church just down the road. A huge, massive steeple. They're Catholics. How I long for that facility to be a shining light for the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't you? And if that happened, I wouldn't be going, Buh, here I've been serving Jesus for 30 years, and we got a warehouse, and they got a cathedral. No! We'd be like, oh, it's so awesome. We want Jesus Christ proclaimed. We want him lifted up. We want people to abandon infused righteousness or reliance on yourself and turn to Jesus Christ alone. That's what we want all around. All, everybody, everybody. And Israel is special because she has all this amazing heritage. If only she would turn. And here's Paul saying, you know what? God, who is about grace can give grace to them too. He can. What it will look like is an opening of eyes to Jesus Christ and a turn to him. Don't in your heart and my heart think, oh, I've got to preserve my position. I need to be bigger in God's eyes. I need to go up. That's the opposite of John the Baptist. That's the opposite of what we were supposed to do. We're supposed to exalt Jesus, him lifted up. That's what we want. Paul says God can. This should mean something for us. It should mean something because God does not abandon even those who killed his son. It's humility. That should give us certainty about our relationship with God. This is a great, amazing God that we serve. Look at verse 25. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I don't want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. See, God's saying, look, Look, here's my hope that this partial time here where Gentiles are coming in, then there will be a great return of Israel. Because even in the Old Testament, and he quotes there and says, not just that the deliverer will come from Zion, that's Jesus Christ, but also he will will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Look, Jacob, Israel, I long for her. As regards to the gospel, verse 28, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. Election and gospel there, you say, well, they don't have the gospel, but they're they're, regards to election. Election isn't salvation. It's the favor that God's placed on them is, is Israel. But look, look what amazing statement this is, that God, who prepared Israel from time way past, 35 4,000 years ago, God there prepared through history, Israel. Yes, she wandered, but always God's faithfulness on them. And then, and then now, he's made them enemies of the gospel. Why? It says why. For our sake. 
Is that incredible? God loves us enough that he says, I'm willing for my chosen nation to be pushed aside so that you might, through union with Jesus Christ, you and I, be united to him, faith alone, in his grace. But he's not done. He's not done with Israel. Because, verse 29, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they get jealous. They see the truth. They also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. This is the depth of God's plan. That he shows how not just the sinner and the evil, irreligious wanderer is against God, but also the self-righteous, religious, quote, follower of God in their own strength is also against God. And everyone needs grace, mercy. That's what salvation is about. So how certain can you be, you who believe in Jesus? How certain can you be that God won't withdraw because of some sin? How certain can you be that you might sin against God? And he says, fine, you're done. I'm kicking you to the curb. Well, I can be really certain because he says the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And it's about receiving God's mercy. It's about staying through faith in Jesus. It's not about, did I sin in a particular way? It's about, do I really believe in Jesus Christ? Because once God sets his favor, that's where it is. I'm so excited that the more talented player may want back in. And God says that's grace too, that he doesn't forever reject them, that people can grow, that eyes can be opened to Jesus Christ, that we don't judge people for self-righteousness because that's just sin too. And pretty soon the Lord may open their eyes to Jesus Christ and come back. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how unscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Do you see that we cannot search out God's judgments? We we bow in humility. We do not know God's mind. We will never, ever, ever give a gift back to God to somehow pay him back for being good. I'll bear lots of fruit for you, Lord, in order that you might be repaid for your mercy on me. That that will never happen. Everything is about God in him, through him. Everything will glorify him. There's a depth here that we cannot even really touch. That's a long chapter. I hope you see the flow. It's not about us determining when will Israel return to Jesus. It's not about that. 
It is about revealing this amazing character of our awesome God. Look what he does that you can trust every day. He doesn't reject forever. He's made a way. It's been in his plan that you and I have this ability right now in this season. And if you're sitting here today and don't know Jesus Christ, now is the day. It's before you. It's in God's plan that you would be offered and see the full grace you can receive in Jesus Christ. Union with him forever. Your righteousness set. And there is coming a day, says God, It may have begun already, and it's through Christ alone that Israel, too, opens their eyes more and more. Because of that, oh, I call you this morning to hope. Hope because everything in your life is about grace, and your God is a God of grace. Humility, because everything in your life is about grace, and your God is a God of grace. You humble yourself as a branch. All of your holiness, all of your fruit, everything you are is going to be because you're connected to Jesus Christ. Stay there. And then our certainty that we know our God has said, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven. Sin's forgiven. Righteousness given. We're his forever. We can trust it because of what he said about Israel. It is God and God alone. God's name and namesake alone. It is God who is deep in riches. God who is deep in wisdom. God who is deep in loving kindness. And God who is deep in glory. Not us. This is the message of the Bible. Let's pray.